We've been, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been going through looking at this series, inviting everyone to imagine a world without Easter. What would the world be like without the events of that first Easter 2,000 years ago? Uh, and this week we're looking at this question, the last part of this kind of series we're looking at. Uh, what would it be like to live in the world without, imagine a world without any purpose, any direction, any sort of great goal? Uh, a recent and comprehensive study um, put out by, that uh, was called the Australian Wellbeing Index, uh, put out I think last year, um, it, it said that when it comes to talking about wellbeing, uh, and it's probably no surprise to you that uh, this survey found that right up the top of the list was this whole idea of purpose, having a purpose, a, a sense of purpose for your life. Um, uh, we know meaning and purpose in life is important. Uh, we long for it. We long for it, don't we? Uh, but friends, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we touched on the great problem in all of this. We know and we long for this sense of meaning and purpose, but we touched a couple of weeks ago on the great problem for us in all of this. We read, if you're here, uh, we read from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, this great and profound reflection on the, the, the character of a life without God, the character of life under the sun. Uh, the writer of the book, uh, he put all his energy into finding meaning, finding purpose in life, and he writes about it. He tried to find it in pleasure, in, tried to get it in his work, tried to get it in knowledge, uh, and he ended up with the famous conclusion, and if you have heard it before, it, it might ring um, uh, bells for you, his famous conclusion. Maybe if it's an older version, you know, vanity, vanity, or meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless. And he talks about how things just... And Paul Harrington, who preached then, r reminded us of this. He, things just go on and on, right? We get up, we eat, we work, we watch TV and go to sleep, and then we get up and we eat, we work, watch TV and go to sleep. You know, like... Uh, a long cycle that all ends in the same place. The writer writes this, For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun when they are gone? For this writer of Ecclesiastes, and it's very good that this book is in the Bible, isn't it? This writer of the Ecclesiastes reminds us of the reality of life under the sun without God and finding meaning in that kind of a world for him it's like trying to catch the mist with a butterfly net you know that's the kind of image with it's just this vapor you trying to find meaning in this life that's just here today gone tomorrow well how do we respond to this friend to this tension I guess uh, the, the knowledge that we, we desire purpose we seek it um, but it's just like a vapour. Uh, one possible response is to just laugh it off at the kind of... Uh, one, one famous attempt at this, if you're familiar with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books or the movie or whatever, if, you've, if you're familiar with them, there's an enormous... It's a science fiction um, book. There's an enormous supercomputer called Deep Thought 
who calculates the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything over a period of 7.5 million years and comes up with the answer? Anyone know it? 42. <laughs> Unfortunately, no one knows what the question is. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, uh, friends, it, uh, that's not a bad response if this world is all there is, isn't it, to, uh, to kind of look at this question of meaning and purpose and shrug our shoulders, make a joke and move on. Um, but you know it's, it's ultimately an unsatisfying response, right? It's ultimately unsatisfying well, friends, the events of the first Easter burst into this sobering scene, don't they? They burst into it, this world of vapour. Uh, without Easter, 42 is probably as good an answer as any other for the purpose of your life. <laughs> but with Easter, friends, with Easter something bright and new and world-changing, something that will give purpose to your life, has broken into this world. And it changes everything. If you were here last weekend, uh, we reflected on the, the events of the first Easter Friday, on Good Friday. Uh, we saw how Jesus' death was the full expression of both his justice and his mercy, uh, his wrath against God's wrath against humanity's rebellion and wickedness, and his great love to save a people for himself, so that they could be forgiven and restored to him. Uh, then, of course, on Sunday we looked at the the great account of the resurrection that we've already sung about. Jesus, God in the flesh, couldn't stay dead. Of course, he couldn't. Death couldn't hold him. He entered death and he shattered its power. And he was risen just as he said, as we read in Matthew 28, as we sung about. He is risen. Hallelujah. He stood in front of the women who came looking for him, these two Marys, and he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And suddenly, friends, from that first Easter onwards, the world would never be the same. But of course, and we've read it today, the story doesn't stop there. It didn't stop with Jesus rising from the dead and Talking to these women, Matthew goes on to record this one short but really critical scene at the end of his gospel. Uh, and it starts, and if you've got the, uh, the handout there, it's got a bit of an outline which might help you. It starts with this great encounter, this great encounter uh, between Jesus and not quite all the disciples. So verse 16, it should come up on the screen, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Uh, if you remember from last week, if you were here, Jesus had told the women to tell the rest of the disciples to go to this mountain, where in Gal near, go near Galilee and where they would see him, to go there. And then it goes on, verse 17, when they saw him, presumably in the distance, but at close enough to recognise who it is, when they saw him, they worshipped him. The idea there is they, they fell down on their knees before him in awe and praise. But some doubted. Right from the start in this, 
this last bit of what Matthew's got to say. The last bit's always really important, so we've got to prick our ears up. Right from the start, there's something not quite right about these disciples, right? There's, not something, there's something quite, not quite right here. Something is missing, or uh, if you know the story, someone is missing. Only 11 of the disciples are there. Um, Jesus chose 12 disciples, and it wasn't just a random number. Uh, it wasn't just because that was convenient. Uh, 12, uh, uh, the people of God in the Old Testament, Israel, were, were divided into 12 tribes. Were divided into 12 tribes. And in choosing 12 disciples, Jesus was making a big statement. He was making a massive statement that this is a new people of God that's not gathered around ethnic lines, but gathered in and around himself, around Jesus. A whole new people of God. And here is this new people... Incomplete. Only 11 of them. Uh, we already saw last week that the 12th disciple, Judas, he was the one who betrayed Jesus. So they're not, they're not only incomplete, but they're a group who is shattered by this news. Uh, the women had told the disciples to go see Jesus. And it's hard to imagine, isn't it, if you imagine for a second, what would it have been like for those 11 disciples going on that journey to see well, who knows what they would have seen? What would it have been like for them? Perhaps I suspect some deep guilt at the realisation that all of them had abandoned Jesus. Um, perhaps excitement at the thought of seeing him, but also, as we read, also fear and doubt. Could the women just have been mistaken? Are their hopes being raised for nothing? But then they finally see him as we saw. They see him and they fall down and they can't believe it. Uh, and even, even then, though, we're told some of them doubt. You get the picture. The impression that we get is of this group of incomplete and unimpressive disciples, worshipping yet doubting. And I think what's going on here is the point of highlighting those things about the disciples is to make it, the contrast even greater with what comes next. Weak, incomplete group of doubters and worshippers. They are his disciples, and they're, but they're, they're not quite right. But what comes next? The disciples are unimpressive, and, but there's no such grey area when it comes to Jesus. Verse 18 should come up. It is a beautiful moment, this verse, is it? Is it not? Um, and do you notice what happens here? Jesus comes to them. Jesus comes to them. He doesn't leave them kneeling in their confusion and their mixture of worship and doubt. <laughs> he doesn't leave them there. He doesn't do what powerful people of this world do, which is expect people to come to them in the right way. He takes the lead and he goes to them. And what is the first thing he says? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Friends, think about that claim for a moment. Uh, it is an astounding... It's a... It's a Astounding thing for Jesus to say, right? 
there's no grey area in what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth is just another way of saying in, in all the created order, all authority is mine. And how can that be when there's so much wrong in this world? When every week, every day, there seems to just be this flood of news of wickedness and pain and terror. And well, Friends, it's important to see that this would have been just as astounding for these first disciples as perhaps it is for us. Just as unbelievable. Uh, there were 11 of them. Okay, 11 people. Uh, Jesus had gathered a few, ex- a few others, a, a crowd of people who, who he'd sort of gathered to himself while he was alive. Just think about this small group, okay, that Jesus is talking to. Uh, we've already seen they're pretty unimpressive and incomplete. Um, this small group, a handful of nobodies, who are under the fierce and unstoppable power of the Roman Empire at this point. There was just as much wickedness and hate and suffering in the world then as there is today. And Jesus says to them, uh, can you imagine how they would have felt hearing it? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. It is a stunning claim. Uh, What's going on? What is going on here, friends? Um, uh, In the background, if you want to look at it later, there's there's, uh, something really significant going on here from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, and you can, if, you, if you're a note-taker, you can jot down Daniel chapter 7, um, where there's this great promise of one who would come as God's great king called the Son of Man, which was a favourite title of Jesus. He called himself that. Uh, and this great one would be, would be given all power and authority and glory. All nations and peoples of every language would worship him, and he would have a kingdom that would never pass away, an eternal Kingdom, And Jesus is saying that that one, that great promised one, that one is me. I am the eternal king over God's kingdom. And because Jesus is raised from the dead, he is saying he is already now ruling on his throne over all things, over the whole world. We're still left with this tension though, aren't we? And the first disciples would have had it as well, of the claim that Jesus is Lord and the reality of the world around them. Uh, But friends, notice what the claim actually is. Jesus is not claiming that the whole world is already the way it should be. He's not saying that when he says, all authority has been given to me. He's saying that in his death and resurrection, he has defeated the world's great and terrible enemies, sin and evil and even death itself. They lie defeated and in the dust. He has now the power and authority of God's king and even though the world is not the way it should be, uh, he has the authority and power to take it where he he wants it to be, where it should be, to renew this world from its death and decay and its rebellion against God and to bring it in his timing under his 
good rule, under his good and life-giving rule. He is the king, friends. Jesus is Lord. All authority has been given to him. And he is bringing all things under his lordship. He is at work to bring this world to where he intends it to go. And friends, here's the kicker, okay? Here is the next shock (laughs) that we ought to hear as we read this. How is this risen Lord achieving his great purposes in this world? How is he going to extend his kingdom and bring this new life and forgiveness to the whole world? Have you seen how as you read on? It's through us. It is through his people. It is through his followers. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Um, Friends, we reflected last week a little bit about the difference that the resurrection makes in our lives, the incredible difference. And there's so many things we could say. Um, Perhaps you reflected on that yourself or in groups. I wonder what the first things that we thought of are, about what difference it made makes that Jesus rose from the dead. What do you think of? It gives you certainty, assurance of your faith. Yes, it does. Uh, It gives you hope in the face of your own death. Yes, it does. Uh, But, uh, friends, Jesus' resurrection does all that. Uh, But it does more than that. Matthew 28 fills us in on something perhaps that we uh, might be not necessarily what we would land on at first, but it is for Matthew, for Jesus here, a central implication of Jesus being raised from the dead. All those personal realities are true and wonderful. But what does Matthew say? He says, uh, Jesus says, I'm raised from the dead, therefore I have all authority, therefore go. Make disciples of all nations. Jesus' resurrection shows to this world that he is its good and true Lord. That is the, the, the great implication that Matthew brings out here is not just a personal one, but a global one. He is the Lord of the entire world. Uh, and so it just makes sense for his disciples to make his lordship, his saving lordship known to the entire world. Um, every now and again, friends, you may have heard sometimes uh, taught that this word go here, this is a, a slight aside, so just sort of take a mental break here. Um, every now and again, you might have heard that this word go, um, uh, some people could translate it or take it to mean uh, as you go, um, not, so sort of just, just saying as whatever you're doing, make disciples. 
Um, I'm happy to talk later if you'd like to sort of uh, uh, talk to me about the details of this, but uh, my take on it is that it's not actually the accurate reading here. Uh, while the man, main translation is to make disciples, that's the main kind of thrust, the word go is itself a command. It is actually a command. Uh, because Jesus is the risen Lord, because all authority has been given to him, therefore his people are to go to every nation and make disciples, bring more and more people into his saving lordship. Oh. Do you see what's going on here? This resurrection, friends, uh, it's such, it's such an earth-shattering event, uh, such a new thing that happened, a new reality. It reveals to us such a wonderful new world where Jesus is Lord and death no longer has the final word, where all hopelessness, all the hopelessness of a world of death and decay and sin is suddenly in one moment wonderfully and totally overturned and replaced, not just overturned, but replaced, all that hopelessness and death and decay replaced with life and peace and joy. And this new reality gives a new purpose that is just so much richer than 42, right? So much richer and more wonderful. It is a compelling and transforming purpose to share in this new reality. Not only to share in it, but to share it, to share this new reality. If you have seen Jesus raised from the dead, you have had your eyes open to the world as it actually is. There's new reality where death no longer has its sting. And part of being Jesus' disciple is going to every nation to make disciples, to bring people under this reality, to joyfully proclaim that Jesus is Lord and to urge everyone to recognise his, his lordship, recognise that reality. Well, um, we're going to kind of... Uh, the, next, the next little section uh, uh, that Jesus goes on to fill out um, what making disciples looks like. Uh, and, he, and he says two main things here. He says baptising them, and we're going to uh, have some baptisms later. Um, we will talk a little bit more about baptism. But baptism is this powerful symbol of this new beginning, of entering into this new reality through Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, it's like an initiation ceremony, although infinitely better than you know, any of the ones that you might be thinking of. It's a public statement that your life is now bound to Jesus in his death and resurrection. And this new reality that all authority has been given to him is now your reality. You live under his saving lordship. It's a sign of your membership in Christ's family, the church. Uh, do you notice, though, also, just quickly, it's not just the beginning, uh, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's also the ongoing work of seeing people all their life continue to live under the Lordship of Christ, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Um, it's a life of disciples, not just a one-off start, 
Jesus has in mind here, entering into this reality and continually living under it, letting it shape you, living under his word, obeying it, being transformed under the lordship of Christ. And this... And, and, and can you see what's going to happen there as people do that and become disciples? Well, what will they, what will they hear here? Um, they will become disciples and then they'll hear the word to go and make disciples. And then they will make more disciples who will then go and make more disciples and spread the news of this kingdom, this new reality across the whole world. And that has been going on ever since. It's what fuels people like Mike and Karen Rowe, who were here a couple of months ago, or a couple of weeks ago, however long ago it was, <laughs> who, are, who are going to Namibia. Uh, they're just ordinary disciples who know that Jesus is Lord of Namibia and who know that the people of Namibia need to come under his lordship. And they have heard that this call to go and make disciples. It's what fuels ordinary disciples to pray and look for opportunities with uh, the people around them with, with their friends and colleagues and people at school. Uh, as we'll hear later on when we come to our own baptisms and you'll get to read some of the stories of the people who are being baptised, that's what has brought people here into this kingdom. Uh, some through the long-term ongoing ministry of their families. Uh, one, our brother Colin today who through the witness of friends who last Friday entered into this kingdom by putting his faith in Christ isn't that great praise the Lord for that and who's getting baptized today Jesus is Lord that is the reality of his resurrection he commissions all his people to go and let that lordship be known across the entire world. There's one more really important thing to say. I told you this was jam-packed, right? And would, this is the last of the, what, what, um, what Jesus says here. You see it right at the end there. This is so com- the great comfort. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're not left alone in this. Jesus promises never to leave us, to be with us always. It's not our strength that carries forth this great purpose in life. Uh, It is the strength of the risen Lord himself who is always with us. Friends, recognising this, transformed this unimpressive, incomplete bunch of people. It transformed them and God used them to do exactly this, to be the start of this worldwide movement. It gave them a new, incredible purpose. Jesus' resurrection filled them with this purpose to proclaim his lordship It's a compelling transformation. There's a quote that's going to come up, hopefully, on the screen. It might be a little small. Uh, It's a quote by someone called Charles Colson. If you know who he is, he was involved in the Watergate scandal in the 70s in uh, America and later was converted to become a Christian. And He writes this. Uh, He says, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men 
Now, just keep in mind there, Judas was replaced soon after this point, so he's saying the 12 there, not 11, 12, because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Hear, hear. Absolutely impossible. What transformed those first disciples, what gave them this new purpose was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They got it. They got it. Perhaps it's better to say it got them. And they poured their lives out for it. Friends, it won't look the same for you if you are here today as a disciple of Jesus. It won't look the same, but can you imagine a world of such deep and eternal and joyful purpose that you would happily give yourself for it? Isn't that what you long for? If you're a disciple of Jesus already, taking part in this purpose, this commission, it's going to look different for everyone, as I said. Uh, But it will take many forms. But the key thing in Matthew uh, is that this is a commission, do you notice? It's a commission given to the the, the people, the church, to the church. We do it together, each in our own way, but each just as swept up in this great purpose. Each just as swept up. Friends, just want to finish uh, very briefly, but perhaps you're not a member of this kingdom, you know that, and you've been confronted uh, with, maybe perhaps today, you've been confronted with your longing for purpose, uh, but also confronted by the way it's so elusive and maybe you feel like you're trying to catch the mist with a butterfly net. (laughs) Uh, This offer of a world of eternal purpose is all anchored in the historic reality of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and exploring that would be for you a great place to start. I'd love to chat to you. One way you can get in touch is uh, filling out one of those blue slips you have in your outline and handing them in. Uh, We'd love to get in touch if that's you, to see how we can help. But for all of us, friends, this is the claim of Easter, and it's in contrast to a world of meaninglessness, of of injustice, a world where death always wins, a world without substantial and eternal purpose. Easter stands at the centre of history and proclaims a new world, a new hope, a world where justice has been established, a world where mercy is offered through Jesus, a world where death itself dies, and a world that gives an eternal and joyful purpose to the very end of the age. That is the wonderful news of Easter. Praise God for it. I want to pray for us as we finish. Can we pray? Father, thank you for, thank you for your word which tells us so compellingly about Jesus. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, your son you sent into this world to die for our sins 
and to be raised for new life, to new life so that we might be right with you and have eternal life with you. Father, today especially, we thank you that that isn't just uh, a past reality or a future hope. Thank you that it is a present and transforming purpose. Lord, as we seek to go maybe to all the nations, maybe just across the street, but to go and make disciples, to spread the news of Jesus' lordship over all things, to offer his invitation to enter that new kingdom simply by faith. Lord, may we be comforted and empowered and lifted up by your promise that you are always with us. Thank you that you are building, working your purposes out and we rejoice that you invite us into it. For any here today who are struggling with this whole idea of purpose, Lord, Father, uh, may they see a glimpse of the purpose in life that you offer to them through Jesus Christ. And we pray that in his name. Amen.